Only 4% of universities in the U.S. are R1 research institutions, and Temple University is one of them. This means 100% of students have the opportunity to participate in hands-on learning and research with world-class faculty. With over 600 academic programs across 17 schools and colleges, Philadelphia's largest public university provides students with a rich variety of opportunities and propels graduates to succeed in their careers. Temple University. Schedule a campus tour today at admissions.temple.edu. Recorded live. Welcome to IEQ Radio, the voice of the indoor air quality industry. Yes, the rules have changed. from and welcome to indoor air quality radio iaq radio for friday november 6th 2009 this week episode 145 comes to you from studio b in beautiful coriopolis pennsylvania my name is joe hughes or radio joe here with me in the studio is the z-man cliff slotnick good to be here joe always good a pleasure day, cliff that sounds better chris all right we also have environmental annie koalecki at the controls going <laughs> losing her mind a little bit here today we're having some computer problems we will survive and the wingman chris boyzel here in the studio okay. got some sign Our technical director, Dr. Dietrich Weil, should be joining us in a little bit here. Um, Hopefully he'll be signing in. I forgot to call and remind him today. But today's segments include the microband trivia question. We've got Mr. Sam Rashkin, US EPA's director of the Energy Star program. Looking forward to our interview with Sam today. We've got the halftime IE Connections, What's News with Glenn Fellman the second half of our interview with Mr. Raskin, and then, of course, we'll go to the roundup. We've been uh, updating and adding a blog to the IAQ Radio website every week after the show. Check it out at www.iaqradio.com. But before we start, we've got to thank those sponsors. Indoor Environment Connections, the newspaper for the IAQ industry. Subscriptions and advertising information available at ieconnections.com. Dry Ease Products, providing equipment for drying water damaged homes and buildings. Dry Ease is first in drying solutions at dri-eaz.com. John Don Products, where restoration and abatement contractors shop at jondon.com. Legends Environmental Insurance Services, the experts in insurance for environmental consultants and contractors for over 20 years at Legends hyphenenviro.com. Please be sure to thank our sponsors for their support of IQ Radio when you inquire about their products and services. 
All right. Uh, contact the show. You just go to our website, www.iaqradio.com. Follow the link that says go to the show, or you can download the show from iTunes. Don't forget we have those IICRC, ABIH, and ACAC, formerly the IAQ Council. Renewal credits available by emailing me and requesting a quiz. My email is joe.hughes at iaqtraining.com. We also love to hear from listeners with suggestions, and uh, Cliff's email is cliffzlotnick at unsmoke.com. They're also on the homepage at IAQ Radio. Last but not least, please visit the IAQ Training Institute website for the most current dates for the training you trust at iaqtraining.com. Let's turn it over to Cliff for today's microband trivia question. Thanks, Joe. Win a cool prize by outcompeting fellow IAQ radio listeners and being the first person to correctly answer the microband trivia question each week. Submitting your answer is very easy. Simply email it to cliffz at prorestoreproducts.com. Regrettably, there were no correct answers to last week's trivia question. Remember, listeners, trivia questions are still in play and still active until someone answers them. Now for the trivia question for Friday, November 6, 2009. In Green Building, there are four shades of green. Name them. Back to you, Joe. Hmm. Four shades of green. All right. Well, let's uh, first introduce today's guest. Sam Rashkin is the U.S. EPA Director of the Energy Star Program. Mr. Rashkin has managed Energy Star for Homes since its inception or start in 1996. Under his leadership, Energy Star for Homes has grown exponentially to more than 8,000 building partners and over 1 million labeled homes. He's also overseeing an advanced technology program for elite builders called Energy Star Concept Home. Mr. Raskin has a Bachelor of Architecture from Syracuse University, a Master's of Urban Planning at New York University, and he's a registered architect in California and New York. During his 20-plus years as a licensed architect, he specialized in energy-efficient design and completed over 100 residential projects. He also served as the National Steering Committee for USGBC's Lead for Homes, the National Association of Home Builders, Green Builder Guidelines, and EPA's WaterSense label, and has been on the development team for EPA's Indoor Air Plus label. We're going to talk a lot about that today. He has prepared hundreds of articles, technical papers, reports, and seminars, and contributed to numerous books. In fact, I saw Sam speak at summer camp this year, and I thought that the uh, topic he was discussing was something that our listeners would really enjoy. So I think we've got some intro music for Sam. I've come here to let you know the time is right for me to drop some soul. So lift your hands, I said you Okay, welcome, Sam. How are you? Hey, thanks for that music intro. That's just too good. <laughs> we, cool. we work hard on those, Sam, believe it or not. <laughs> Cliff, that's Cliff. <laughs> hey, Sam, how did, the, uh, how did this Energy Star program all get started back in 1996, and, and why? 
Well, it began in 1996 as Energy Star as a whole was expanding from a few product categories to now over 60. And homes, of course, is a big opportunity for energy savings. It also has a legacy where a lot of what we do in homes represents 100-year opportunity costs because homes will last a long time. So uh, homes is a big deal, and uh, basically we follow the tried-and-true core principles of Energy Star with uh, the homes category, which is it had to be cost-effective and meet or exceed consumer performance expectations. And with homes, we far exceed, actually. But it's just a way to expand the Energy Star brand to this important product category. You know, what's the current situation in regard to tax rebates for Energy Star building, appliances, doors, windows, insulation, you know, what's what's available? You know, I recommend people go to our website to get all the details. Uh, EnergyStar.gov has uh, a full array of details about tax credits. They're so specific, it'd be a long, boring list to go through right now. But, you know, there are various rebates for more efficient products, for renewable products. On top of that, there are over 45 different uh, utility and state sponsors for the Energy Star Homes program that work with builders and offer builders rebates and incentives to build these homes. There's also, of course, the big tax incentive for uh, energy efficient homes that are 50% more efficient for heating and cooling than the IECC 2006, which is the latest national energy code. And uh, typically, Energy Star contributes to that performance as well. And that's a builder tax credit as well. Uh, no, that's a homeowner tax, no, builder tax credit, I'm sorry, for $2,000. But there's lots of details and lots of incentives and tax credits. Our website has lots of that good information. Thanks. All right. What are, what are the most important differences between your, your typical new home and an Energy Star home? I know there's a lot, but, you know, what are the ones that are really kind of uh, that stand out when builders come into the program and they go, well, I, gotta, I have to do that? Okay. Well. No, there's substantial differences on a, a number of key areas, and I'll, I'll go through maybe three or four of them just to highlight um, some significant performance advantages you get by looking for Energy Star. So uh, one key one is um, you know, your duct systems are extremely tight and actually get the air to the rooms as intended, plus mitigate lots of unintended uh, airflow from attics and crawl spaces into the house where ducts are leaking. That could be moisture, bugs, pests, uh, dust coming in the house that's mitigated. So you wind up with much fresher, healthier homes that are um, more comfortable because the, the duct systems are so much more efficient. Uh, when our program first came out in the marketplace, the national average that was uh, reported by research laboratories was over 30% duct leakage in a good portion of the country which meant that one-third of your air conditioning was going to heating the outdoors effectively. And so tight ducts is a big thing. Uh, the other thing is along the same vein is being assured air sealing um, strategies for making sure the house is much more airtight. And again, that helps mitigate dust, pollen, pests from coming in homes and making them more comfortable, lower bills, more healthy, and so forth. Uh, very significant other addition in the new specs that were released in 2007 uh, or finalized in two, 2007 is that the insulation systems actually work. One of the big things you'll see if you ever attach it or, or use an infrared camera to look at a used house, you'll see how, uh, how poorly a lot of the insulation 
works in our homes. And the reason for that, insulation only works that it has complete air barriers and it has uh, touches those air barriers. We call that term alignment. And with the Energy Star specifications, you have these complete insulation assemblies, so the insulation actually works. And again, that contributes tremendously to more comfort, lower bills, quieter homes, very significant difference. And a fourth one I'll highlight is uh, high-performance windows are typical in most Energy Star homes. These high-performance windows keep out heat in the summer when you don't want it, trap heat in when you do want it in the winter. Uh, they keep out UV uh, sunlight that's very damaging to interior furnishings, very much contribute to high-performance homes. And maybe a fifth item I should add that's um, not a uh, technology but a practice that's followed is that every Energy Star home is inspected, tested as part of a verification process with a third-party inspector. And what's so critical here is that builder subcontractors are not really held accountable for a lot of these critical performance details. And with the verification, inspection, and testing, diagnostics, that changes. The subcontractors are finally held accountable, and the quality outcomes that result are, are very impressive. So those are just five big differences. But what I want to highlight, too, is there's a new spec coming out next year that will raise the bar again for Energy Star and the whole performance of the Energy Star house will go up quite a significant notch. We're adding complete system um, packages, if you will, that are going to really, really improve the Energy Star label for new homes. Let me, the first one you mentioned, I want to make sure I have this correct. Um, so the air handling, you were talking about tightening up ducts, and, and I assume a big part of this reason is that under the current specs, you can still have your air handling unit in an unconditioned part of the home? Yes, you can. Okay, okay. And uh, we'll talk more about that when we get to the indoor air plus and, and uh, crawl spaces and all. Do you expect that to change in 2009? In 2009, you're not allowed to have the air handler and uh, equipment in a garage but you can still have it in an unconditioned attic or crawl space. Okay, I'm, I'm, I messed up my ears. Uh, what year did you say the new spec will be coming out? New spec is released next year. It starts January 1st, 2011 as an official specification. Okay. And then there's a transition period, which allows the industry to kind of learn the new requirements, train the trades and the subcontractors. And so the last, last date before you can... Um, you can uh, be exempt from require, following all the requirements will be January 1st, 2012. So it's released next year, getting people enough time to start learning the new requirements. Starting January 1st, 2011, it's in play. You have to do all the checklists, follow the procedures, but the full enforcement takes a year to January 1st, 2012. I see. Do you expect that to still be allowed then with the air handling units in unconditioned areas? Yes. Okay. But there's a, um, there's a uh, fourth generation spec. If you look at it, our specifications, the first was released in 1996. That was uh, version one. Version two was released in 2006, Six took full enforcement in 2007. And version three is now being released next year. But at the same time we're releasing version three, we're releasing something like a version four spec. We're calling it Energy Star Concept Home. And there, everything goes inside conditioned spaces. 
So we'll get to equipment inside condition spaces on the fourth generation. Our program has um, a critical requirement to be able to work with uh, the bulk of the housing industry and pull them along critical next steps to making houses high-performance homes. And uh, we have that on our radar screen, but we don't get to it probably to the next iteration. Very good. Thank you for the clarification on that. Now, real quick, how much should a consumer expect to you know, pay for an Energy Star home versus a, a home that's not built to Energy Star standards? You know, anywhere from zero to $4,000 for an average 2,400-square-foot home. Okay. And when I say zero, in fact, if you build a house as a system, there are a lot of debits and credits. You, know, you need much smaller cooling and heating systems for much more efficient homes. You need much smaller duct systems. You can use a lot less framing. You can sometimes use much less systems. You can only have one heating cooling system for the first and second floor in a high-performance home versus split systems, two, for non-high-performance homes. So, if you start taking advantage of all the integrated systems impacts and the built science benefits of, uh, that are there for you, you find that lots of builders are able to do this easily for no extra cost. But maybe on average, it's about $2,500 I hear, and it could be as high as $4,000. What type of energy savings should or could the purchaser of one of these Energy Star homes expect? That's a really important question because when you make an investment in the house for more efficiency, you want to know what you get back in return. And where virtually every other aspect of a home purchase is really for uh, aspirational uh, desires, you know, granite counters, higher ceilings, more floor space, the energy efficient components that you're purchasing beyond code are an investment. And the reason I say they're an investment is you will pay more like we suggested before, in most cases, you're going to pay a little bit more, but you do get an energy savings. So if it does cost you an average $2,500 more for an Energy Star home, that's going to add roughly about $12 or $13 a month to your mortgage. But you can easily save on an average home $30, $40 per month in utility savings. So the day you move in the house, you're only paying another $12 or $13 on your mortgage, but you're saving $30, $40 a month on your utility bills. That's a good investment return by any calculations. And so that starts the day you move in the house. So, in fact, it costs less for an Energy Star home because of those savings that you just asked about. I have two questions for you. I guess the first one is um, just the percentage. Uh, what percent of new homes being built are Energy Star homes? Do you know that? Yes, we do. In, 19, well, in 2009, uh, the percent jump from 12% to 17% nationally. So that's a 40% jump. Early reports for this year suggest we're going to be over 20% nationally. So it's one in five homes in the country will earn the Energy Star. Um, this other question, and it, you know, it's coming out of right field. We actually had a guest on. This guy's name was Frank McKinney, and I'm not sure if you're familiar with him. He, he built a house called Aqua Liana down in, uh, down in Florida. And this house qualified, uh, you know, as a green home, and it's uh, a mega mansion. I mean, the house is on sale for, you know, 20-plus million dollars. And uh, if you're unfamiliar with it, uh, you know, check out Frank McKinney and the website. It's, it's pretty slick. Sure. Yeah, very good. Uh, now, the other question I had, I, I noticed... I thought you were going to ask me at the size issue. 
<laughs> uh, well, is there is there any limitation on size? Uh, you know, we've been we've been uh, criticized and scrutinized for not having any size component or size criteria for Energy Star up to that up to now. But the next version three or third generation specifications starts to put a uh, significant penalty as your homes gets bigger and bigger so that you have to do more and more. And effectively, if you got your house to the size of Mr. McKinney, you probably have to build a net zero house, which means that you start to incorporate some renewable power systems so that your net consumption is zero. But effectively, uh, in the new specification, we substantially address size. Up to now, we have not. Okay. I, I saw a question on the uh, website. I was doing some research. What is reflective insulation, and can it earn Energy Star? Reflective insulation, if I, I think you're referring to the foil insulation that has reflective properties. That's my, I, don't, I picked it off the website. That was, that was my question. I believe that's what they're referring to. Yeah, I, I, when you, I saw, well, there are a couple of things that could be referring to. There are radiant barriers and there's also foil insulation. It said a radiant barrier, yep. Okay, a radiant barrier is a material that reflects um, heat and it only works if it has an airspace next to it. So what a radiant barrier does effectively is have an equivalent insulation benefit. For instance, if you put it on a roof sheathing, it adds an equivalent insulation benefit to the attic. And it does so because the attic temperatures drop by anywhere from 12 to 20 degrees once you have that reflective foil surface um, helping to keep the heat out of the attic. And normally the way any barrier is done on the attic, there's a foil veneer that's applied to a, uh, a substrate material, OSP or plywood, and when nailed down with the foil face down against say, the air side, air touching the foil, uh, you have effectively uh, or, or that radiant effect you're, you, you want to have. Now, um, there are also roofing materials that have ready, that radiate heat out as well. They're called cool roofs, and there's an Energy Star label for cool roofs. They're not quite as reflective as a foil, but uh, they do an excellent job as well. So these, if this is what you're referring to. Those, that's what a radiant barrier is. And, again, its primary benefit will be in hot climates where you're your most critical load is the cooling load, and it keeps your attics cooler. Yeah, going back to these cool roofs, are those those painted on, uh, you know, systems? It's like a white material, uh, you know, that they put on to roofs. Most no, no. Most typically, it's a typical shingle product, shingle. asphalt shingle or otherwise. It has special chemistry in the admixture that that forms the the coating, and it's just engineered. So it has more reflective properties. Now you can go that way naturally by choosing to use lighter surface uh, colors. If you ever go to Bermuda, you'll notice every roof in Bermuda is a white masonry tile roof. Mm -hmm. And the reason for that, it, it does the same kind of effect as a radiant barrier. It reflects the sunlight and keeps the houses cooler. Um, so it's kind of silly to have a very hot climate condition like we have across the whole south part of the country and not see us take that free benefit by using light color materials. But um, it's a normal roofing material that's just uh, engineered to be more reflective. There was a, a recent report in the news, and, and I think it was a, from a Department of Energy uh, study, that Energy Star products, these are, I guess, the um, 
appliances, et cetera, don't necessarily get tested as rigorously as the program claims and that some products aren't necessarily saving much money or energy. Uh, Would you care to comment on that? No, it's not my specialty, and I'll, but I can give you a, a quick, short just response to this one. Uh, there are two things that I think the Energy Star appliance category has been looked at and scrutinized about. One is this issue about manufacturers do their own testing, and no one checks them. And the second, of course, is that sometimes the level of rigor of the specification stops representing a significant jump from the standard products. I think dishwashers, for instance, were criticized for not being the Energy Star dishwasher wasn't that much, like 95% of the products qualified for it. It was just not much of a, a benefit. And so uh, relative to those two criticisms, um, first on that the manufacturers do their own testing, this was, uh, this is the way DOE set up the program, um, and now all the Energy Star product categories are shifting over to EPA. And I think EPA has heard this criticism and will affect changes so that there's more scrutiny on the testing process. Probably all I need to say there. Uh, there are some cases where, um, where inconsistencies were found that want to be corrected, and so that will be addressed. On the other side, there's a normal development period for specifications to be ramped up each generation to the next, much like I mentioned the homes specifications are being ramped up now in the third generation. And what can happen over time is Energy Star targets itself to be in the top 25% of the highest efficient products in the marketplace. But if the market responds and we do our job very well, you will find that lots of the industry tends to uh, adapt to the levels that we promote. So that's why we ramp up. Now, if our ramp up process takes a little bit longer, you can wind up where the the number of participants at our program level can get very high. So it's just a matter of, you know, that happens tempor- uh, on a temporary basis, but eventually, again, Energy Star has a new spec that represents a substantial, efficient performance level above the typical product. Okay, I've got a text here, I'm not, and it goes back to the insulating. or re- It's basically just says insulating or reflective paints. Any, any uh, mention of those in the Energy Star program? No, we don't mention them, but uh, in the software packages, you can enter the re- reflectivity of the surfaces when you when you do your calculations. And again, if you use light color um, surfaces or paints, you will get some benefit in a particularly in a in a very hot climate where air conditioning is the biggest load. Okay, we've got a little bit of time before halftime, and I, I really wanted to get into this next subject before halftime because I think it's going to be very interesting for our listeners. You've got a new, well, somewhat new program, the Indoor Air Plus program. I, I wasn't aware of it until I saw you present, you know, your presentation up in uh, Massachusetts. I'm sure a lot of our listeners aren't. What is the Indoor Air Plus program, and you know what led to the development of this program? It's a great complement to the Energy Star Qualified Homes label. Uh, As you know, with Energy Star Qualified Homes and building science and energy efficient technologies, there's a tremendous dividend in terms of improved health. Again, when you tighten up the ducts and tighten up the house uh, and use right size equipment, you tend to get better control of humidity, you remove dust and pollen and particles from coming in the house, and you get these dividends that improve air quality, but you don't get the whole package. And what Air Plus does is recognize how important air quality is to American homeowners. Uh, I think um, uh, 
40% of households have at least one hospital visit for respiratory illnesses uh, in our country. And so what you wind up with doing with Air Plus is kind of completing the air quality picture by addressing a full uh, strategy for improved air quality. And the, and the strategy is source control, dilution, and filtration. And so you take advantage of the things we do with Energy Star by making the Energy Star qualified homes a prerequisite. And then Air Plus adds the other pieces you need to address things like radon, uh, biological uh, pollutants, combustion byproducts, chemicals that are dangerous in our households, ventilation and filtration. All those things are added to the mix to complement what we do with Energy Star. And is, can you fill in the listeners on where we're at with respect to that program? I mean, do you have people up and running doing these indoor air plus type homes in conjunction with Energy Star? Is that just getting ramped up? Uh, what percentage of the people, what percentage of the people that are Energy Star also are looking at doing the indoor air plus? It's a very new program. And, you know, uh, there's, there's a million Energy Star homes and there are only about uh, 500 or so air plus homes. But it's gaining traction, lots of interest, lots of builders signing up, and uh, it's a very, very effective way within green programs to get lots of points so that you can qualify for those programs as well. So you're going to see um, a lot of growth for Air Plus over the next few years, but it's fully developed. It's on our website. Uh, you can go to the uh, Indoor Environments Division website, or you can go to energystart.gov website, and it's a hot link to Air Plus right from the home site as well. And there's a very, very um, good set of uh, technical and marketing tools available today. There's a great a set of specifications and background document for the specifications. Uh, there's a very, very good set of marketing um, tools that have been developed and brochures. And on top of that, there's a uh, very comprehensive field guide that's going to be released this year as well. So lots of great information. I recommend people use the website to tap into this. But it's a fully ready program, uh, um, and it's easy for builders to work with this program because it, it just builds right on the Energy Star process. So the same verification, third-party independent verification you use for Energy Star is used for Air Plus. And the same exact two uh, site visits that are necessary for Energy Star are used for the verification of the checklist for Air Plus. So there's hardly... Uh, it's a very small incremental verification cost, and you have the same people that you can work with. It's fully ready to go. Cliff, did you have something? Yeah, I, I did. Um, it really goes back, Sam, to this, uh, you know, to the six areas that are covered by uh, Indoor Air Plus and pest barriers being one of them. And, you know, it would seem to me that the biggest pest related to visits to hospitals for asthma, et cetera, would be dust mites. And, the, you know, I'm just, you know, and I would think that that would be far more uh, resultant in, you know, these emergency room visits than other types of allergens and, 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 and so on and so forth. And I just wondered, you know, whether you agreed with that or whether there's something in the program that deals with that specifically or you're dealing more with other types of insect or rodent-related allergens. Yeah, I think we agree dust mites are a very, very critical uh, uh, pollutant to deal with that have to be controlled for healthy indoor 
environments. You know, dust mites are a major cause of respiratory illness all across America. And, and the way you deal with dust mites is by controlling humidity. Okay. Once your humidity gets much above 55%, you're kind of finding a losing battle. They feed on the skin particles and, and dust in the house and in your sheets, your carpets, and so forth. So you have to keep humidity under control. So the, the way you deal, we deal or attempt to deal with controlling dust mites is by controlling moisture. And the first thing we have is a comprehensive set of water-managed construction details that are part of the AirPlus um, specification. And then within the HVAC system, there are insurances that the HVAC system does a better job of controlling moisture. In hot, humid climates, you have sensible heat ratios that are effective, or you have uh, central dehumidifiers. You have, again, tight ducts. You have tight construction. You have mechanical ventilation that will uh, dilute excess of ventilation that can accumulate in a home. And so you have all these details around controlling moisture that will work effectively to control dust mites in an AirPlus home. Okay. Fair enough. Thanks. After halftime, we're going to go into a little more detail on the, the six different areas covered by Indoor AirPlus, your moisture control, radon control, ventilation and filtration, pest barriers, materials, and combustion systems. But before we do... Let's uh, go to halftime right now, and we're going to bring in Glenn Fellman for the IE Connections. What's news? Leader of men. Hello, Glenn. Oh, do we have Glenn? Hello. Oh, there, there you are. are. Okay. Good day, Glenn. Well, thank you. It's great to be here. And wonderful to hear uh, Sam Raskin on the show today. I met Sam for the first time probably eight or ten years ago, and it is really remarkable how far Energy Star has advanced since those days. Uh, t- talking about uh, things that happened ten years ago, that is what we're we're, we're covering in our November 2009 edition of Indoor Environment Connections, which is Volume 11, Issue 1, which means that we have completed 10 years of continuous coverage uh, of the IEQ industry, 10 years of publication every month, and we're very proud of that. So on our cover story, the headline is, A Look Back at 10 Years of Indoor Air Quality News. And we cover the top items every year from 2000 through 2009, and I really encourage listeners to read this because it gives a, a wonderful perspective on just how far the industry has advanced. I hear too often about how much uh, the industry has to do, how much research we need, how much information we still need. But when you consider where we were 10 years ago, it, it's really remarkable where we've, we've come. Our November edition is online at ieconnections.com, and it can be downloaded by anyone for free. Uh, some of the other articles we've got in this month's issue, because we did cover the news of the industry, one of the ones I think is very interesting, and, and maybe Sam would want to even comment on it later on, is uh, an article about a disagreement between two industry uh, organizations that traditionally uh, walk in lockstep, and that's the Air Conditioning, Heating, and Refrigeration Institute, AHRI, and the Air Conditioning Contractors of America, ACCA. They've come into a disagreement on regional standards for HVAC systems, 
And uh, it's interesting because uh, ACCA, the, the contractors group, has declined to endorse an agreement worked out between uh, AHRI and several environmental advocacy groups that would set regional standards for heating and air conditioning systems rather than single national standards. Hmm. And uh, you can read the entire article and, and understand the positions of the, the, the two parties and the other parties concerned with it. And that's our at press time article in this month's issue. And uh, quite a good piece there. Another article we've got is on Chinese drywall, uh, or as we're calling it now, corrosive drywall. Uh, we seem to be coming towards some consensus. IAQ leaders that we interviewed uh, throughout Florida and other affected states see only one solution, removal. And so we've got a great article by Tom Scarlett where he's interviewed several people uh, who are experts in the field, and they talk about uh, uh, testing, but more, more importantly, removal. Uh, another story that we've got this month that I think people will find interesting uh, came out of uh, a report from the, the meeting of the CIAQ, which is a government uh, group of, of agencies that are involved in indoor air quality issues. Uh, this one I found particularly uh, interesting, and that's EPA wants a study of climate change's impact on indoor air quality, which is something we really haven't heard a lot about before. This is in response to a request from the EPA. The Institute of Medicine of the National Academy of Sciences is conducting a study that evaluates the state of scientific understanding of the effects of climate change on indoor air quality and public health. Hmm. The results of the study will be used to shape EPA's strategy for dealing with indoor air quality problems. Uh, that's what uh, Dave Rousen of EPA's Indoor Air Division told the agency's Council for Indoor Air Quality at its quarterly meeting September 21st. We've got a, a long article talking about a bunch of other really cool things that happened at that meeting on September 21st. But one thing I wanted to note, um, the Consumer Product Safety Commission, which uh, has ostensibly taken the lead on addressing the Chinese drywall crisis, failed, up, failed to show up at the meeting. And uh, I thought that was uh, kind of noteworthy there, considering how much that's made news in, in recent days. Lastly, uh, I wanted to point people to uh, Doug Clatter's article, Radon Corner, where he talks about the World Health Organization's release of its new Radon Handbook. Uh, Doug considers it the most significant uh, thing to happen in the world of radon in the last 10 years. It sets up uh, international standards and guidance documents as opposed to having a, a hodgepodge of national and regional uh, standards and so forth. And uh, it's, it's a really good uh, piece to explain how, how much more the uh, significance of radon is has been recognized by not only the U.S. government, but by governments across the world. So that's what's new in indoor air quality, Joe. Right. And with that, I turn it back to you for the show. Well, thank, you. thank you, Glenn. We appreciate that. Before we get back to our second half, we are uh, going to make sure we thank our sponsors. We are delighted to have as our first association sponsor, the Indoor Air Quality Association, a nonprofit, multidisciplinary organization dedicated to promoting the exchange of indoor environmental information through education and research. Visit them at iaqa.org. And thanks to our advertisers. Gray Wolf Sensing Solution, who use advanced sensor software technology and embedded computers to provide superior environmental test instrumentation. Visit them at wolfsense.com. 
Pro Restore for cleaning, odor removal, and antimicrobial products remediators trust and depend on. Visit them at ProRestoreProducts.com. And, of course, our primary sponsors, Indoor Environment Connections, the newspaper for the IEQ industry. Subscriptions and advertising information are available at ieconnections.com. Dry Ease Products, providing equipment for drying water-damaged homes and buildings. Dry Ease is first in drying solutions at dri-eaz.com. John Don Products, where restoration and abatement contractors shop at jondon.com. And Legends Environmental Insurance Services, the experts in insurance for environmental consultants and contractors for over 20 years at legends-enviro.com. Please be sure to thank our sponsors for their support of IEQ Radio when you inquire about their products and services. All right, let's go back to Mr. Sam Rashkin. Sam, I got a text question here. I figure I better get this one first. Um... We got a text question from a listener. In 2006, there was something like 37 different energy programs in North America. This was according to ASHRAE. Uh, can you comment on this from a, a consumer confusion point of view? And is there any kind of uh, backroom discussion going on about merging or collapsing these programs together? Great question. Uh, uh, there are over 100 green programs nationally as well, so there's just lots of programs on product categories. I can only tell you what we focus on from a, a program director perspective, and that is to just stay incredibly focused on providing the best value to our customers we can. And our customers are consumers, number one, that the label means something and adds value when they have the overwhelming prospect of trying to select a new home. And to builders who work with us, that if they build to our specifications, they get to offer consumers a much more desirable product. That's all we can focus on. I know there are lots of labels. A lot of them are here today and gone tomorrow. But you know, we're very proud that Energy Star is such a success. Uh, nationally, there's over 75 cons 75% consumer awareness for this label very, very high, very profound. When independent studies have been done, like by groups uh, like Good Housekeeping, and they hire consultants to go and look at the marketplace to evaluate their own brand, Energy Star will always show up as a very profound brand that's recognized across the country. And in um, the marketplace, again, having one million homes, one in five constructed to our guidelines, gives us good confidence that we're truly hitting the mark in terms of delivering a label that's useful in the marketplace. I should also mention from a builder perspective, the number of builders joining Energy Star per month went up a thousand percent from when the market was very strong and going uh, full force to when it went soft. In the 18-month period that the market sort of uh, went completely um, down from its peak level, the number of builders joining per month were tenfold from what we had prior to uh, that period starting. We had used to get about 30 builders per month. We went up to about 300 builders per month joining the program. So yes, there can be many programs out there, but we know we deliver incredible value to the consumer, to the builder, that we're a mainstay in the marketplace, that we're helping consumers make a very important decision with good guidance on a very critical attribute, energy efficient performance. And with that confidence, we move ahead. And you're pretty well known. <laughs> I 
guess just about everybody's heard of EPA out there. Absolutely. Huh? All right. Well, Sam, let's move on into a little more detail on the indoor air plus. Uh, we've got the five, the six categories, moisture control, radon control, ventilation and filtration, pest barriers, materials, and combustion materials. Which area has the most detail? Well, first, again, let me explain to everyone that you'll see these six, six categories on the specification, but don't lose sight that there are three cornerstones to a healthy indoor environment in every home. Source control, dilution, filtration. And without question, source control is your first and most important step. If you can keep undesirable pollutants out of your house in the first place, you have an incredible start. Once, you know, you can never house, ever, house, ever, have a house, ever have a house perfect. And also, living in a house, you generate moisture, washing, cleaning, cooking, and uh, there's things that will be contributed from furniture and cabinets and so forth. So that's where dilution comes in. And dilution is normally your ventilation systems, your spot ventilation, and your whole house ventilation. And your last resort that you have is the filtration. When the air goes through your duct systems and goes through a filter, you can fold uh, particulates out down to a micron or less. So that's the strategy that's employed with the Air Plus label, source control, dilution, and filtration. Now, within source control, you will see in the specifications that some categories are longer and more detailed and others are less. And that doesn't imply more or less significance to that pollutant category. For instance, radon is very critical. There are 20,000 deaths per year attributed to radon in homes, and so that's a very significant pollutant to have in a house, yet it only has two items on the list, and, and that's basically to assure radon-resistant construction. So even though it's only one item, it's very, very important, and any home uh, should be tested. Homes in risk areas should have radon-resistant construction, so it's a very important part of our specification. But moisture control is also important. Without moisture control, we had a long conversation before about how dust mites can proliferate. You also have higher risk of mold, mildew problems that exacerbate air quality as well. So moisture control is very critical. And you'll find there, there's a lot of uh, requirements in that section and a lot of backup information behind those requirements to help get that right. So all the sections are important. Uh, probably the one that we're the least rigorous on right now is the biological or pest uh, control requirements. Right now it's mostly uh, relegated to screens and air sealing techniques to keep bugs and pests from getting in our homes. But you no know, integrated pest management is coming along. We'll look at that into the future. It had to be more comprehensive with that kind of strategy. And so it's one of the more um, less rigorous sections of the specification. But if you look at each of the components, they're all probably uh, how do you say which is less critical than the other? Combustion safety or moisture or radon or, or uh, pests or chemicals or, you know, they're, they're all important categories. And it's just how many items it took us to give a good confidence that you're addressing that, that particular pollutant. Sometimes it was a lot of items and sometimes it was less items. I was looking over some of these specifications and um – there's quite a bit on the moisture control, like you mentioned, and, and I would urge people to take a look at it because it's, it's good information. Um, how I was curious, though, while reading this, how did EPA come up with these specifications? How do you determine what works and what doesn't work, for instance, and, and do you have independent testing and verification that these required specifications are, are going to work? 
It's also a really good question. If I see a specification or a standard, I, I'd want to know how that comes about. And I'll tell you, it's very, very different from green programs. Now, most green programs are a consensus-based process where they gather lots of experts and vetting and look for a consensus process to come up with a, a rating system and a set of specifications. Energy Star is very different. Uh, what we do is we research uh, extensively the area of interest, in this case, obviously, air quality. And we get the best information enough to put together a straw man set of requirements or specifications we think constitute a good um, definition of indoor air quality in this case. Then we bring in extensive amount of experts where we have gaps and holes, get their insights, uh, refine those specifications, and then we vet the specifications um, uh, at least twice broadly to all stakeholders in the public about what we're thinking of promulgating as a, as a rating system for air quality. And when we get that information back and get further expert insights and input, we take the information, try to make the best decisions based on that, and we actually make decisions from a staff level what constitutes a good specification. Now, typically, most of the requirements are soundly based either on building science principles or on research and metrics that are demonstrating those technologies or practices are effective. Uh, for instance, moisture control is a very difficult one to get, you know, what's the standards and measurements that you're really achieving. Uh, like, for instance, um, you, you can't just say keep a wall above the dew point. So what we do is provide things that we know from the science can keep uh, temperatures above the dew point, keep moisture out. And so the measures are designed based on science principles to uh, provide an outcome reduced moisture. In other cases, um, when we can rely on standards or metrics, we do that. For instance, on the material side, uh, we use carpets and padding that have a CRI label that's measured, tested to a certain level. And there you have a very <clears throat> kind of tested, documented performance level. That's the basis for the standard. So it varies. It's either sometimes based on science principles, sometimes you have um, actual research or testing programs that provide the basis for the, uh, for the measure. Sam, we've got a specific text question that we consider pertinent. Uh, what about chemical resin off-gassing and um, OSB products that are considered green? Is there anything in the specifications about building product selection? Well, with all the board products, OSB and MDF and plywoods and, and cabinets, what we uh, are trying to reduce is the formaldehyde content in those materials. So all the urea formaldehydes are, are prohibited from the board products that are being used in homes for in, indoor air plus. So if that's what's being referred to, that's how we address that. But it's, it's well beyond just OSB. And so... Uh, that's you no. Know, that's our solution: is to go to much safer phenol formaldehyde products, the and and prohibit the urea formaldehyde from being used in in those materials. Okay, thanks. Let me go back to the moisture control, Sam. Um, Indoor Air Plus. I noticed I was reading the specification handles crawl spaces quite a bit different from the way they've been built over the years. Can you comment on how difficult that? you think that will be to get contractors to, um, well, first, I guess we need to tell the listeners a little bit about what the differences are, but also then how, how are builders reacting to this? Sure. Uh, the differences are that in traditional construction, 
we used to build what are called vented crawl spaces. So we would we would again have a um, uh, a very low space below the floor that's um, that's has a wall around it with ventilation, and we would insulate the floor above the crawl space, and the ventilation would bring in in the summer very hot humid air, and in the winter would bring in very cold air, and then the insulation that would go on the floor would be your thermal boundary from the house to that crawl space. Now, uh, I'll go into how that works in a second, but first let me explain the difference between what's required for Air Plus. With Air Plus, what happens now is we seal the crawl space with poly and tape it at the seams and bring it up the walls and uh, secure it with a furring board and, and, and keep it set so that the moisture from the ground cannot get in the crawl space. And then we don't put any vents in the walls and treat the crawl space almost like a mini basement. There'll be a one heating duct or a supply duct there, and the insulation goes on the walls, not on the flat floors above the crawl space. And that's required for a number of reasons. First, with an open crawl space that's vented, as was done in traditional construction, you're creating a recipe for all sorts of high risk of moisture problems. You're bringing, again, hot humid air in the summer. Our building science tells us that heat and humidity want to go from more to less. And you have right above that crawl space less heat, air conditioned space, and less moisture, dehumidified space. So you have a driving force to push the heat and humidity in the crawl space right up into the floor. And in the floor, you have insulation that's very difficult to install that's flat because it tends to drop off the floor. And that's typically fibrous, fibrous which means that the airflow can go right through it. Fibrous insulation doesn't stop airflow, it stops thermal flow. So you have a driving force, you have a porous material, and you have the ability for the hot, humid condition or air to reach a cold surface, which leads to condensation, all sorts of risks of mold, mildew, and moisture problems. It's a recipe for disaster. On top of that, it's much less efficient because the airflow bypasses the insulation. You wind up with cold floors in the winter and hot floors in the summer. So it's higher bills, less air quality, and more cost often because you have all that insulation in the floors, and it's very, very difficult, if near impossible, to do uh, effectively. So in contrast, when you insulate the walls, you seal up the crawl space, you save often at least 12 pounds of moisture coming through the ground into that space. You don't have the other moisture from the outside coming through the vents. You have effectively, again, a mini basement that's conditioned, that's dry, and your floor above is above an, almost an ambient temperature space. So it's not cold in the winter, not hot in the summer. Your utility bills go way down, and you have less bugs, less moisture, less dust. It's far superior. Okay. Okay. Sam, uh, what's radon-resistant construction? Radon-resistant construction is a practice of one first creating a boundary below the slab so that uh, radon gases can't get through. And that's often done with poly and with a uh, four-inch gravel layer below the poly so that the air can flow through. Now, sometimes it's geotextile as an option to use instead, but essentially most times it's poly above a gravel. Now you stick a PVC pipe in that gravel a stub and then vent it through the house so it goes above the roof. And what happens is you have a depressurization system below the slab that can vent now through the PVC up to the roof so the radon gases that are in the soil can effectively uh, be uh, exhausted. And instead of going in the house, they're vented up above the house. 
which uh, happens passively. Now, what would happen is if measurements show that there's still some accumulation of radon in the house, there's a junction box next to the PVC pipe so you can add a fan that goes 24-7 to power vent the radon from underneath the house, above and through the system, and out of the house. And that's all radon-resistant construction is, but it has a very important dividend. Not only does it exhaust the radon, it pulls in all the moisture under the house through that same pipe and out, so you're, you're removing the moisture from below the house as well. So it's a, it's a tremendous improvement in home performance with a radon-resistant construction system. Now, we put the poly and gravel there as a matter of water-managed foundation construction. So really, the only additional requirement for radon-resistant construction is the PVC vent and the junction box so that you could add on a power vent system in the future if you need it. Sam, Indoor Air Plus requires compliance with ASHRAE 62.2, which is ventilation and residential construction. But it, but it does not require any energy recovery ventilators or heat recovery ventilators. Um, how does that Indoor Air Plus requirement affect your Energy Star compliance in a new home? Well, first, again, let me also tell you that the third-generation specifications we're releasing for Energy Star uh, next year also include actually 62.2. So we start to get more and more things from the Air Plus label further encumbered in the Energy Star specification because of the inextricable link between a lot of energy issues and air quality issues. But it's something you have to do because you once you build a house tighter and insulate it better, you have to dilute the pollutants and the humidity that can build up inside these homes. So you, you do take an energy penalty because you're bringing in outside air, but that penalty is not that large. It's very small relative to the total consumption of the house. And if you want to address the penalty, you could do the systems that you mentioned, the heat recovery ventilators or the enthalpy recovery ventilators, uh, which can have a heat exchange function added onto the ventilation system and provide balanced ventilation, which is often desirable. The issue with those systems, of course, is, is two things. One is much higher cost, uh, where you can do a, a very low-cost ventilation system for $200 or less. A uh, balanced system like HRV or ERV can cost anywhere from $1,500 to $3,000 to add to a house. And the second issue with these systems, besides cost, is the extra maintenance requirements for the homeowner. Uh, where homeowners are even challenged just to replace their furnace filters or program a VCR, with these other systems, you do have to go in and open up the panel. You have to replace the filters periodically. You have to service uh, the fan systems and assemblies with greasing and oiling and other maintenance. So there are things that have to be done to ensure those systems work. Plus, the intakes have to be uh, inspected on a yearly basis at least to make sure the intakes aren't clogged with leaks or dust or other materials so that you're not getting airflow. Uh, maybe check the balance on the system so it's, it's proper. So there's a lot of maintenance or there's a maintenance component, I should say, that's uh, attached to the HRV or ERV ownership that's a little more significant than with the simple low-cost systems, which are exhaust-only or supply-only systems. And the exhaust-only system could be a bathroom fan that's set to operate 24-7. That's very um, quiet, so you hardly hear it. 
and can uh, consistently be pulling air out of the house so you, you get an effective ventilation uh, uh, effect. Or you could, on a supply-only system, have an intake to the supply, a return duct from the outside that pulls air anytime the fan from the HVAC systems operating is pulling air from outside as well as from the return ducts in the house. Those are much lower cost systems. Again, they could be $200, $250 and provide ventilation that's much lower cost. The reason why we, both with Air Plus and with Energy Star, allow ASHRAE 62.2 without the additional requirement of HRVs or ERVs is because the cost is very high and we want to give builders and consumers a lower cost option. All right, Sam, we've got, uh, we ran a little over here and we started a little late. Can you stick around for another five minutes or so? I should be happy to. Okay, we're going to go to the roundup then. Everybody get one more question and then we'll wrap it up. Let's go around the horn one time. Cliff, do you want to start it off? Sure, Sam. Um, I'm interested in knowing what the filtration requirement is for IAP. The infiltration requirement? The filtration. The, fil the filtration requirements a MERV 8 filter or better. That gets you down just about to a micron, not quite, but almost to a micron of, of particulates. Uh, going that can go through the filter. The big issue with the MERV-8 filter, of course, is that it has less airflow going through it than a traditional, less efficient filter, the fiberglass filter. So normally what you best want to do is get a wider filter rack instead of a typical one-inch rack, a four- or five-inch rack. That creates more surface area for the air to go through and maintain its airflow. Your furnace should maintain its uh, designed airflow uh, for safety and for performance. So uh, in my own house, I, I replaced a filter. I checked my airflow. I'm just close enough that I can get away with it, but I do change it more frequently than the three-month interval that they specify just because I know i got to maintain my airflow. So Mervate's what we specify, and it gets you down to almost a micron. All right. Uh, Glenn, do you, did we get Glenn Feldman back on the line? I'm here. All right, Glenn. I'm here. Let, do you have one? I do. Um, Sam, and I uh, hope this isn't too much of a, a curveball at you. Um, There's so many programs out there now related to energy efficiency in buildings, and there's government ones and then there's non-governmental ones. So uh, our listeners uh, to this show are hearing a lot about the National Association of Home Builders and what they're doing, uh, the U.S. Green Building Council, what it's doing, uh, and even ASHRAE uh, working in concert with USGBC to a certain extent. My question for you, how does Energy Star interface and integrate with those programs? Uh, what do you do to try to maintain consistency um, or some sort of correlation between the work that you're doing and the work uh, on, on, on a government level and the work that's being done on a non-governmental level? Uh, sure. And I'll, I'll do a, a short response to this question, but it, it, it's a topic for an entire show. Uh, there's a tremendous difference between these green programs and Energy Star. Tremendous difference. And it mostly revolves around the fact that 
their rating systems are very flexible and tend not to define the attributes. It's a matter of collecting enough points and you earn their label. Mm -hmm. And that's I, that's a very good thing because it provides a lot of flexibility for builders working with these programs. But what happens with Energy Star, and particularly as we get to this third generation specification, we do two things. We, we provide that kind of adult supervision that this is what energy efficiency is. You don't have a lot of flexibility. You gotta do all the things we say. And therefore, a consumer knows exactly what they're getting. It's not like um, if an entire water-managed construction system requires both water-managed roofs, walls, and foundations, you can leave out something as critical as pan flashing in a window and still earn the green label. You have to have everything because we require everything. And so it's the difference between a complete system and a series of getting enough points to earn the label. So they work different ways that are complementary. The green programs provide a lot of good uh, outcomes to the market. They help builders have a lot of flexibility, but the Energy Star and the Air Plus labels are very specific, clear definitions of a comprehensive approach to each of their um, attributes that they address, energy and air quality. And within a green program, the way we try to work is we like to be the intel inside. We want to be effectively a way to add extra value to your program because with Energy Star or Air Plus, in there as a way to get points or as a required component, consumers know when they go to that NHB or U.S. Green Building Council program or a local green building program that they're getting the value of that definition of a truly comprehensive approach to energy or air quality. So the short answer is that we're complementary. They're flexible. They have lots of point schemes. They offer lots of ways of achieving their programs, multiple tiers. We're binary, either either achieve or don't achieve, and you have to do a lot more specific requirements. And if those programs work with our program, they're very, very complimentary. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate that answer. Good. All right. It's the last one for you, Sam, and then, well, we got two more. Real quick one uh, at the end. But um, we went over five of the six categories at least you know, touched on them. Obviously, there's a lot more to go through. I wanted to just give you an opportunity to talk to our listeners for just a moment about the combustion systems category and uh, maybe give us a couple of the highlights from that category with respect to how IAP, the Indoor Air Plus program, handles combustion systems. Sure. Uh, in, in our homes, uh, there's a lot of risk of backdrafting or even sometimes flame rollout from our combustion equipment if enough negative pressure can be created in the homes. And by example, for instance, a clothes dryer, when it operates, uh, sucks in about 150 to 200 CFM of air into the clothes dryer so it can remove the moisture from the clothes and then be exhausted. A central vacuum is about 100 CFM of suction in our homes. We can have a downdraft that's up to 1,500 CFM of suction. And just again, by example, if you operate a clothes dryer, for instance, just for 60 minutes, that's like removing all the air in a 1,500-square-foot house and exhausting it outside, all the air in the house. So now if you have an open venting exhaust system for like a water heater or a furnace, and that suction air is going on from your clothes dryer, your fireplaces, your downdrafts, whatever it may be, you can, exact, you can pull back on those combustion products that should be going through the exhaust by gravity because there's more negative pressure created by those devices 
uh, then the gravity can withstand the gravity exhaust. So you have a risk of pulling combustion products in your home. So what the Air Plus label will do will be to require that these appliances are direct vented, which means that there's a pipe bringing in outside air for combustion and a pipe exhausting uh, combustion air to the outside. So there's a complete disconnect from the house and your furnace or water heater cannot be overwhelmed by some temporary negative pressures going on in your home. Or in the case of a water heater, you can use a power vented exhaust where the power fan above the water heater can overcome those temporary negative pressures. So that's one example of what's done for combustion safety is, is to isolate the combustion equipment from the home so that you don't have the risk of um, combustion products having a way to get inside and to contribute to air quality problems. We also uh, make sure homes have alarms, CO alarms that are effective and can uh, provide warnings. We prohibit um, uh, equipment that doesn't, uh, uh, you know, non-venting equipment in houses that are combustion equipment. So those are the basic requirements to make sure the house is safe from combustion products. Sam, is there something, you know, that you'd like to add that we didn't touch on? The only thing I want to just maybe kind of finish with is that, you know, these are very, very complex and important um, issues for for consumers, for homeowners, and um, no doubt people care about the air they breathe and the uh, and the efficiency of their homes. But if you actually look at the at the process of buying a new or existing house, it, it's amazing how overwhelming it is and how complex and, and how many things people care about. It can be as simple sometimes as the cosmetics and the granite counters and and sometimes the storage or the school or the proximity to work. And so within that reality of, of consumers going through a very, very complex purchase process when they're looking at homes, it's so important, I think, that both Energy Star and Air Plus provide an incredibly simple label logo recognition solution to addressing very important components people have to their purchase without having to go through and figure out what different levels are or what um, or whether it is or it's not truly addressing that issue. They can kind of add it quickly to the mix and not need a lot of expertise in that area to make a good choice. So. I don't think anyone should underestimate how important these labels are in the marketplace. These are very, very difficult purchases. And I like to think that everyone cares about energy efficiency and air quality as much as I do, but I know the reality. And I even know my own emotions when I, when I buy homes myself. So the fact we have these very, very easy, recognized, widely um, trusted labels in the marketplace for both AirPlus and Energy Star is very important. Very simple, easy, recognized labels. Well, thank you, Sam, and that's a, that's a great way to end the program here. Um, I just want to tell our listeners that uh, we first want to thank this week's guest, Sam Raskin, the U.S. EPA's director of the Energy Star program, for joining us here on IAQ Radio. I want to make sure that uh, we also let you know next week we've got Dr. Michael Finley of the University of West Florida Allied Health and Life Sciences Department. We're going to talk a little bit about the control component of uh, industrial hygiene, so how we actually do the 
control of some of these pollutants. And um, before we go, I also want to make sure I thank my co-host, the Z-Man. I always have pleasure. Cliff Slotnick, Environmental Annie, for taking care of us at the controls, the wingman, Chris Boisel, and, of course, uh, Glenn Fellman for the IE Connections What's News. But most importantly, a nice group of uh, online listeners here today. I always want to thank our growing group of loyal listeners. Please come back and join us next week for the next edition of IAQ Radio. This has been another IAQ Radio production. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.